1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of American Muslim Project. I'm Asad Bhatt. We got a great show for you today. Lots to talk about when it comes to Palestine and anti-Muslim sentiment and speech around the country. And we have an awesome guest today, Iman Hadi, a professor at the University of Chicago, will join us and tell us what it's like for people like her to be on a college campus these days. And then I just got back from the Sundance Film Festival, and I'll share with you some really awesome news coming out of there for Muslim creatives. But first, let's start with some news headlines. Our first story is not new, but confirms a lot of what we all know and that is threats against Muslims, Arabs, and Jewish communities are increasing online. A report from the Department of Homeland Security from January 11th says groups are posting and recirculating messages that push for violence or recruiting new members. This is all happening online. It's happening in person, but you know a lot of it is happening online. The report is concerned about Videos of overseas violence related to the war in Gaza and other, other places, inspiring unpredictable domestic loan attacks. And as if predicting what would happen, this week, a group of pro-Palestinian protesters at Columbia University were sprayed with a powerful stink spray. According to a report in The Hill, the students filed the police report saying two other students were responsible and that the odor caused them not to become nauseous and have headaches. The New York police department is investigating saying that it could be a potential hate crime. We'll follow that story and provide updates. And now moving on to one of the more egregious acts of alleged hate. This is the story from Vermont where three college age students were violently shot at while walking. This happened in the fall the victims recently talked to NBC News for the first time, saying how this attack, this kind of attack, is something he expected would happen to him growing up in the West Bank and not in Vermont. Here's one of the victims, Hisham Awartani, talking to NBC News. tahsin and I were both wearing uh, the kufiya, like the traditional Palestinian headscarf, uh, for a variety of reasons. Like, I mean, like, practically, because it was really cold, but on a more, like, you know, meaningful sense. It's because that we felt as Palestinians during this time period, it's important for us to show our identity and to show that we exist and that we're human. Just walking along the street, you know, this man comes down the porch, approaches us, pulls out a pistol. Like I just remember gunshots and falling down. The alleged gunman is 48-year-old Jason Eaton, who lived steps from the shooting and had an arsenal of weapons in his apartment. And he's been arrested and claims to be, quote, not guilty of murder. And now we have an update for you on the story of that former Obama White House official who spewed Islamophobic rants at a food cart truck worker in New York City in the fall. You guys have probably seen this video online. Stuart Seldowitz is the person who hurled that abuse towards Muhammad Hussein at the New York City Adam Halal food cart. Um, and we found out this week that he's not going to be charged with a hate crime, which is just ridiculous. If you heard the video, it it is <laughs> as uh, cut and dry of hate speech as you can imagine. Um, instead, Seldowitz will be taking a 26-week anti-bias training course. For those of you that haven't seen the video, the harassment began on November 7th. And you can see in a series of videos, Seldowitz come to the food cart. Uh, and just continuing to harass and verbally assault the staff at this food cart. It just it it is one of the most craziest things that you'll see. Cell phone footage went viral. And Seldovus was like a really prominent person in the State Department. He worked specifically on Israel and Palestine policy for the U.S. State Department. And you can hear him in this video insulting the prophet and berating the vendor over the war in Palestine. I'm personally glad that he's going to get some support in training and hope that that will help change his views. But given his status as a high-ranking government official, the punishment just for me doesn't fit the crime right now. And I you know, also hope that Mohammed Hussein, the cart worker, and the other people that work at that cart um, are getting the support that they need to. And now on to Florida, who just recently got their governor back this week. Uh, The South Florida Muslim Federation conference was canceled by a Marriott Hotel due to concerns of potential anti-Semitism. The cancellation happened just days before the event. According to CBS Miami critics, including a former politician named Joe Kaufman raised accusations of terrorism against the Federation leading to a petition seeking to ban the conference at the Marriott. But as you can imagine where the story is headed, Jalal Shahada, a member of the Muslim Federation, told CBS Miami that there has not been anyone who's provided one credible threat that would support the hotel canceling the event. And he added, quote, the only thing we've been provided are racist and baseless accusations that are built on an uh, on an Islamophobe's bigoted point of view that every Muslim is a terrorist. We've all seen this story play out before. Marriott themselves cited... Increased security risks as this, the reason for canceling the event, prompting the Federation to go off and seek another venue. Very excited to introduce our guest for today. Iman Abdul hadi is an assistant professor at the University of Chicago in the Department of Comparative Human Development. Professor Abdul Hadi is a sociologist studying gender, religion, migration, and Muslims in the US. And just a note, she's actually not teaching this semester at the University of Chicago. She's currently at Notre Dame in Indiana. I follow her on Twitter and recently saw that she posted a bunch of interesting things, including some articles and just some thoughts about what's happening. In fact, she posted recently about how the faculty at the University of Chicago voted unanimously to form a Faculty for Justice in Palestine chapter That's abbreviated to be FJP, and that chapter or that organization is calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, advocating for Palestinian liberation and supporting students and others protesting for Palestinian rights. She also recently published an article called How U.S. Muslims Have Transformed in the 20 Years Since 9-11 and What It Means in the Wake of October 7th. Highly recommend this article. It was published in a publication called In These Times, which informs and critically analyzes the emerging new movements on the American left. I asked Professor Hadi to join American Muslim Project to talk about these things and also just to share her thoughts about what it's like for her to be on a college campus in the U.S. right now. Very excited to have you here today. Uh, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here.
1: Yeah. So your most recent article, which just, I think, came out today on the day that we're recording, um, was uh, entitled How U.S. Muslims Have Transformed in the 20 Years Since 9-11 and What It Means in the Wake of uh, 10-11, 10-7, sorry, October 7th and uh, what happened there. What I really liked about this article, um, Professor, is you talk to a lot of different american muslims uh across the country and their experiences of the last whatever three months um can you talk to me like what was your impetus for writing this article you must have been feeling a lot of thoughts
2: yeah on the one hand you know we emphasize that palestine is not a religious um, issue right it's an issue over land it's an issue that affects um, christian and muslim palestinians But on the other hand, it is an issue that um, affects Muslim Americans here in the U.S. and that Muslim Americans care about. Um, Sure. And so one of the kind of questions that I wanted to to ask was, why do Muslim Americans care about this? And that's sort of a kind of a a through thread in the article. (laughs) Did you
1: figure it out? Because I'm also fascinated by this as well.
2: So I have some theories. I think one thing is that a lot of Muslim Americans come from colonial context.
1: Yeah, sure. So
2: they recognize in Palestine a familiar uh, history and a familiar set of struggles, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing is, and this is what I one of the kind of findings in the piece. Is that Muslim Americans, many of them, grew up politically in the context of 9-11, right? Yeah, right. So right. this is a context in which people became very aware of American empire, right? This is the U.S. launches two extremely destructive wars, and in fact... Many more than two dis- two disruptive wars yeah. in the Middle East, um, and people start to see that their lives, the lives of people who look like them, the lives of many Arabs, many Muslims, uh, are not counted in the sort of geopolitical calculus.
1: Totally. And,
2: and so what you and so I think that people see Palestine as a part of that broader. Um, problem of American empire.
1: What I find interesting about the times that we're living in now, and so I I came of age, uh, my first job was in broadcast journalism in August of of, uh, 2001. So my career has been in this entire post 9-11 world. And what I thought was really interesting about the piece is that you talk about how Muslims are feeling both invisible, but then there's so much Social activism and protesting so there in a lot of sense there are more they are more visible as well and I, I, I can you talk a little bit about that
2: yeah, I think that in in the article and in general we see that we are very visible as political subjects, right? As people that are debated, whose presence is seen as either a problem or a good thing. Like we're used as proxies and we're used to that, right? Yeah. So we've, we know the cycle very intimately where every time there's a political campaign, suddenly everyone's talking about Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> but, when, <laughs> but when it comes to our own feelings as human beings, right? And I think we see that in the article in the, in the various stories. We d- we are invisible. So that's the way we're invisible as people, right? Yeah, as sure. as 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 stories, as lives, as you know, concerns. Those things are invisible, but we are visible politically. And I think we've been very good at sort of um being like, Okay, fine, let's do it. We're gonna yeah, organize, totally. you know. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah.
1: I think for for me, you know, I I was um living in boston just a couple blocks down from or not living working a couple blocks down from when the the boston marathon bombings happened and you know that was whatever six seven years ago and even at that time my dad was like don't wear a beard out and about don't like you know don't be visible. and so i it's i think this generational difference between these gen zers that are coming up that have live through BLM. You talk about this in the article, live through BLM, live through climate change, climate justice and gun control issues versus my generation, which, again, I'm in my 40s and even my parents' generation where we're told, okay, don't like rock the boat type of thing. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I just I find it really interesting. And uh, uh, how much of this is uh, because of the coalition building and the visibility that American Muslims have had in the last couple of years?
2: I think a lot of it. I I think also there's a sort of precarity that the first generation, you know, had, right, where people didn't, you know, maybe they felt more precarious in their immigration status. They maybe felt more precarious at work. They felt like, And a lot of us, you know, we grew up in this society. um, There's nowhere to go, right? We are American Muslims, right? Like,
1: hundred (laughs) percent. I mean, I I get
2: people on Twitter every day telling me, go back where you came from. And I'm like, there's nowhere to go. (laughs) There's nowhere for me to go. And so I think think for, for, for many of us who are born here, there's this sense that, You know, you gotta, you gotta gotta gotta, just, it's, we have to face the facts and we have to do something about it. And in some ways, that's because we're less precarious than our parents, maybe legally or socially. Uh, This has been a very upwardly mobile um, community, too. And I think that that matters. Um, But yeah, I think there's a huge generational difference. But I think we've also, I think the coalitions have been very important in that we've built support with other people, but we've also modeled our. Organizations and are organizing on the successful models of other yeah. communities. Um, yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, one other thing that I really found fascinating, and you touched upon this in the article, is how a lot of Muslims feel—American Muslims feel—that their non-Muslim friends just don't get it. You know, or just they're not engaging in these conversations, or aren't aware even of what's happening or how bad it is in 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 Gaza uh, and beyond. Um. Yeah, I I wonder why do you think that is?
2: I think I think for 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 a lot of Muslims, the, there isn't the luxury to look away when it mm. gets to be too much, right? Yeah. Either because it's all
1: consuming in my feeds. That's all absolutely. I see. Absolutely,
2: it's. I mean, and this was one of the going back to the question of why do Muslims care about it. This is that there are many Palestinian Muslims. Most of us know someone.
0: Yeah. If you
2: don't have family there, you you know someone who has family for sure. there. You yeah. you have. You know, we have a closer degree um, of, of and then I think there is a psychological impact to watching people who you identify with, who you see as part of some group that you belong to get treated like this, especially knowing that your own dollars, you're, that you're working your ass off, right? And that money is going to kill your fellow Muslims or your fellow Arabs or your fellow Palestinians. Like, that is just such a brutal feeling, you know, Um yeah. So it really has felt like this parallel reality for a lot of us where it's like, I can't believe the world is going on like as though nothing's happening.
1: yeah, totally. yeah. I want to quote uh, from the article really quickly because I thought this paragraph was was really interesting, and that is many Muslims who came of age experiencing Islamophobia and anti-muslim sentiment also grew up fighting for among other issues talked about, black lives, climate justice, and gun control. These experiences are now deeply informing their understanding of the genocide in Gaza. Rather than framing Palestine as a Muslim issue, they see it as a star in the constellation of anti-colonial racial justice struggles against global white supremacy and the violence of American empire. And I think even for me, as someone who has studied this issue for so long, just informally, in no form, but been around enough over the last 20 years, I think it was the last couple of years where this connection between uh, it being colonialism and racial justice, this just emerged in my mind maybe the last couple of years. And so do you think that uh, the Palestinians are just doing a better job of making that connection or I guess how, why why did this happen over the last couple of years?
2: I honestly credit the Black Lives Matter movement for mm, this. I think that we have had, I think that um The Movement for Black Lives has been very clear in its sort of analysis of white supremacy and has been so successful at bringing white supremacy to the forefront and in a way that has helped people sort of connect the dots for other things. Also, black leadership in this country, and this goes way before the Movement for Black Lives. This goes all the way back to radical organizing in the 50s and 60s, has always been clear on the question of Palestine. As a solidarity question. And so I think that in many ways, we are, we are, as, as usual, and I think people of color in this country are always reaping the fruit of black effort and black labor. And Mm. I think in this case, this is, this is a similar, um, this is a similar thing that's happening here.
1: Yeah. And then you end that paragraph with this uh, question. And, uh, you know, I think I'll be thinking about this for a while. You said a persisting question, however, is whether the fight, whether their fight for the soul of the United States is worth enduring. The nightmare. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there was a big kind of difference in the people that I interviewed. The folks who were newer to the U.S., there was this kind of sense of, "What the hell am I doing here? Why, yeah. why should I put myself through this?" Mm-hmm. You know, I had an Egyptian Egyptian interviewee who just said, "I've never had this experience before, where someone throws hate speeches at me. That's not a thing that happens." You right. know, I couldn't, he just, like, couldn't believe it. And, and reflecting on that experience, you know, I, I wore hijab growing up in, in Missouri and I was like, wait, you've never had hate speech happen to you? Like (laughs) like the first time that happened to me, I was nine years old and trying to go to to school.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: so I I think there's, I think, whereas for a lot of us who are American Muslims, who who our lives are here, we're like, there's nowhere to go. But I think for younger generations or newer folks, there's this sense of why should I do this to myself? Like, is it worth it? Um, Uh, the problem is, a lot of people don't really have a choice,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more with Professor Abdul This is American Muslim Project. All right. Welcome back to American Muslim Project. My guest today is Dr. Iman Abdelhadi, a professor, assistant professor at the University of Chicago and doing so much more author, journalist. I call you journalist, but reporting on on issues about the American Muslim uh, community and beyond. I want to turn to your campus, University of Chicago. Late last year, a group of faculty at the University of Chicago voted unanimously to form a Faculty for Justice in Palestine chapter. I didn't even know such a thing existed. Um, So at first, you know, uh, applauding you for creating that chapter, actually, and making it uh, more well known. The, The chapter or the organization serves as a political base for which to fight for the liberation of the Palestinian people, as well as for broader intersecting matters of justice at the time of. The formation of the chapter had about 50 members. I think my first question that I want to talk to you about is what has it been like for you to be an American Muslim on a faculty member on a college campus over the last couple of months? And no less one of the most prestigious college campuses. I guess you're, you're not there right now, but Notre Dame itself, where you are teaching, is, is pretty prominent as well. What has it been like for you?
2: It has been a completely new experience in many ways. I have a long history of campus activism, but it was always as a student, and it's been um, very strange uh, to to undertake this as a faculty member. I think that the very fabric of our campus has completely changed. Our relationships with students have changed um, in a what lot way? of. So I I think a lot of so a lot of the organizing uh, that now fgp is 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 doing it started with us trying to just support our students Mm. so i think many of us woke up and realized oh we're in this new mccarthyist era where we're having some of the highest levels of repression of student activism and speech that that we've seen in the last you know century and um and so a lot of us were scrambling to say, how do we support our students? You know, I, our students on the one hand, we, it's, you know, colleges are constantly talking about the mental health of their students and then a genocide is happening and there's right. kind of, you know, not only are students not supported in watching this trauma unfold, and in many cases seeing it happen to their families, right. but they're also being actively harmed and actively repressed and, and punished for... Um, speaking out against this genocide.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's interesting to me as a member of of the faculty. You you talk about or the the um, the kind of outline of the um, FJP talks about the most securely employed among us need to protect more vulnerable members at all times. Why was that included? So
2: faculty really range in their level of precarity, right, as workers. So you have people who are on the tenure track, um, which means that, you know, eventually they sort of do all the right things. And the the university deems them worthy of tenure, permanent employment, um, employment. or they are contingent, which means that they have much shorter contracts, sometimes right. as short as one term. Um, and and so there's there's a sense that you know the people who are punished, and we've seen this throughout the country, that the people sure. who are most likely to be suspended or have their classes canceled are people without that are not on the tenure track. Although people on the tenure track have also been targeted. And I will say that that's one of the things that's changed for me. I mean, I, I was always vocal about Palestine, but you know, my work is not on Palestine for the most part. It's it's related to Palestine because I study American Muslims. But um, I'm not tenured yet. I'm on the tenure track. And, you know, there was this kind of moment of like, am I going to not say anything yeah, about this? Right. Um, and it was very clear to me from the very beginning that I, there is no job on earth that is worth me not speaking up against the genocide. Yeah. I don't, totally. I don't want to be at an institution that wouldn't want me to talk about a genocide. I don't, you know, I I think that for a lot of us, the the question has been, what is your moral line? Right. Mm -hmm. If if you if if slavery were happening today, right, if if we were in the era of South African apartheid, if we were in the era of civil rights, which side would you be on? And the question is really, how much are you willing to risk? Do you ha- if your moral line is not genocide, then I don't think you have a moral
1: line. Yeah, that's a really, You don't have yeah, one. Right.
2: There's right. nothing that you would be willing to whisk- risk your career or yeah. your livelihood for. And that's something to come to terms with. But yeah. I, you know, I felt very strongly. And especially, I mean, for me, I'm the only Palestinian faculty member that I know yeah. of sure. on the main campus at the University of Chicago. There may be one in the medical school. Sure. But... Um, so how can I face my students? How can I claim any any moral clarity if I can't if I can't, you know, speak up and wh- and what's the point? What's the point of my position if it
1: can't be used? Are are you worried about your safety uh, in any way?
2: Oh, I have been worried about my safety at various points at, you know, I had uh some tweets blow up and I had people sort of send me very threatening messages. I've no, no. gotten hundreds if not thousands of racist um violent um messages at this point um i feel lucky that i'm on sabbatical this year and that my whereabouts are somewhat unknown, unknown yeah. otherwise it's very easy to find my office
1: wow. um, oh no.
2: so i have worried and i think like most palestinians you know i wear a kufiya every day i wear some symbol i've worn some symbol of palestine on my body every day for the last 105 days um and yeah it, it's scary
1: i'm glad i'm definitely glad that you're Safe and sorry that uh, yeah you're feeling you know threatened.
2: Thank
1: you. I I think a lot about the other form of threat uh, outside of the physical one, and that is a labeling of people, uh, especially being labeled an anti-Semite by people that yes. support the state of Israel. I mean that I think that is a huge fear for a lot of American Muslims or supporters of of Palestine or 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 whatnot. Can you talk about that in terms of? Your faculty members, I, I imagine, students are feeling that, but other faculty members are they um, self-censoring for fear of being labeled an anti I Falsely?
2: think
1: I think that um,
2: I think that people who were self-censoring have increasingly moved towards not self-censoring because of the dire situation that we all find ourselves in, and because of the strength of the movement in terms of claiming over and over that anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism are not the same thing. And I I think most importantly that the presence of Jewish allies in the movement has been so significant. At UChicago, we have a UChicago um, Jews United for Palestine group that formed pretty quickly after these events started happening. I think for me, you know, there's always... I think these things at the end of the day, I know I'm not an anti-Semite. I've never been an anti-Semite. My record stands (laughs) extremely clear. Um, You know, like I, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not even going to. So to me, it's like, if you're going to call me an anti-Semite, you need to justify that claim. I don't need to dignify a basis claim with a response, much less with self-censorship.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I think that um, a lot of these kind of doxing websites that have emerged that label people for just being supportive of uh, the Palestinian cause, I think, it, you know, people on um, that have worked for me in the past have, you know, have been doxed in that way. And it's, I think it's for a lot of people just it's super scary, um, especially because they are they seem to be targeting a lot of young professionals early, you know, in their careers, you um, uh, as a way to, you know, um, uh, censor them and, and shame them, essentially. Um, yeah. So I want, my final question to you is, is, do you think that the dialogue on campuses now, and I know, you know, you're just an N of one at, at the campus that you're at now, but, like, do you think that there's dialogue happening between students, between faculty, like, that people are becoming more aware and changing their their views and opinions? Or are people just really, like, you know, in their own zone and, and are, you know, willing to change.
2: Absolutely. I think that dialogue is happening. One of the things we know, you know, to put on my sociologist hat is that people form their opinions and thoughts in social movements. It's not that they come to social movements having already formed, they have inclinations, they have things, but we are seeing people um, in dialogue. We are seeing people shift. We are seeing people learn, uh, and it's really a beautiful thing. There have been dozens of 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 events even just on our campus at this point. Um, and each one I think makes makes a difference. Um, yeah. we see that every day. That
1: that's so great to hear and thank you for all the work that you're doing. Um of and uh, we will be supportive in any way that we can. Dr. Yaman Abdelhadi, thank you so much for joining American Muslim Project. We will Thank you, you so you much
2: for having me. Yeah. It was such a pleasure.
1: We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have some cool entertainment news that's applicable to the American Muslim community. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Muslim Project. Now we're going to focus on some stories from Fawn, our website hub for Muslim arts and culture, which you can find at... Createfon.com. our first story over 700 film workers are banding together to call for a ceasefire in gaza called the film workers for palestine it's a call by and for filmmakers and cinema workers to stand for an end to genocide and for a free palestine on their site, they have a public statement of solidarity from film workers for Palestine and call for other film workers to add their names. I think the last time I saw it had about 700 names on the list. Um, and part of the group was out in force, actually, this past week at the Sundance Film Festival, where I was in Park City, Utah. Um, and they were seemed like they were protesting um, and raising awareness every single day good on them and in other news out of sundance the muslim public affairs council's hollywood bureau held an amazing event bringing together american muslim creatives called the muslim house the event brought together about 200 or so people to help support muslim storytelling in the arts i was there as well it was really just a phenomenal event the biggest announcement though came from the doris duke foundation they made a really groundbreaking announcement you can see here They will be giving out $6 million in grants, including supporting MPAC's future Muslim houses at film festivals. The majority of the money, though, will be going to the Center for Asian American Media to launch the U.S. Muslim Documentary Fund there. Basically, $4.5 million going to support documentaries by and for American Muslims. And then one final note, our friends at the Islamic Scholarship Fund have opened up applications for their scholarships for future changemakers. The scholarship is for American Muslim students interested in media and politics who demonstrate potential to impact public opinion. Applications are open now until March 21st. Over the years, the organization has awarded an impressive $2.3 million in scholarships to over 500 alumni. The scholarships range from $3,000 up to $10,000. Highly recommend that you apply if you're young enough. Um, And if not, please share that. Uh, It's an awesome opportunity for those that want to get involved in media or politics. We'll have links in the show notes to how you can apply. And that's going to do it for this episode of American Muslim Project. Thanks for joining. American Muslim Project is a production of Rafaleon Media. We'd love to know your thoughts. Email us at info at rafaelion.com that's info at r-i-f-e-l-i-o-n.com i want to thank today's guest dr iman abdulhadi and thanks to producer ari and thanks to you we'll see you next time on Butt.